Welcome to Money with Alpha, where I share simple tips for how to make, save and invest money while also connecting your values with your lifestyle so you can achieve the life you really want. You will also hear interviews from real people as they share the ups and downs of their money journey. After all, we are all on a journey and what better way to learn about money than to hear what hasn't and has worked. Hello there and welcome to today's episode. Um, Today I wanted to talk about a topic which often tends to scare most of us and that's in relation to investing. Um, I mean, I know myself, I I grew up where my parents' view of investing was you you bought an investment property and then you were laden in debt and you had tenants and repairs and all sorts of things. And that was was my view of investing. So we all tend to have, like, like anything, we revert to what we're familiar with and what we saw and experienced in our childhood and sort of extrapolate that out um, in terms of familiarity uh, in our adulthood and um, any other in terms so in terms of investing any other kind of investing for me was totally foreign the idea of investing in a company I didn't really understand and then when I started to understand it, I was like but how do you actually physically buy a share like it was something so fundamental that was holding me back So today I wanted to talk about investing, uh, what it actually is, the five key elements of it, and then how to physically do it. Um, And there are so many more ways now than there were even when I was a child. So I'll just run through what those five key um, fundamentals are. One is time. Um, That is how old you are and then how much time you have to invest. The second one is risk. This is a really important one for you to understand yourself um, and how sort of risk averse or not you are. The third one is asset allocation. And I realize that's a term. I'm going to explain that, but it's basically whether or not you have assets that will protect you and then assets that will probably more likely grow, but they're riskier. So it's that's where the risk part comes in. Then number four is diversification. So that's spreading your risk, basically. So everything still comes back to that risk, which is why it's number two. Um, So that was number four. And then number five is consistency. The thing with money is it's actually really boring. When you when you get it sorted and it's running, you're sort of like twiddling your thumbs going, hmm, I feel like I should be doing more. <laughs> but it's actually really dull in the end. Once once you we, we sort of build it up in our mind that it's so hard and it's so time consuming and all these things, but it actually isn't. So I'm going to explain why, when, especially when it comes to investing um, as we get into the episode. So first of all, I just want to talk about what investing actually is. So it's simply, in the most simplest terms, it's the process of buying an asset that will increase in value over time and will provide you with a return in the form of an income payment, whether it's a dividend or whatever term, sort of in, some sort of income, or a capital gain where the actual cost of what you paid for it grows. So most of us in Australia understand property. So I'll, I'll relate this one back to property, which is only one type of asset class. I'll go through what different types of assets there are in a moment. But if you think if you buy a house and let's just, you know, whether it's an investment property or, or a pro- like a house that you live in your home, let's, let's just park that for the moment. But say you buy a house for $500,000. That's the capital value of the house at the time you buy it. A capital gain then is anything that goes above that 500. And it might even result because you've done renovations or whatever Whatever the reasons are for that. It's sort of, again, somewhat irrelevant. But the gain is the amount that goes above that 500,000. 
income from an asset than is anything you get, like for instance, rent payments. So if you're if it's an investment property and you're receiving rent or it's a home you live in and you have a granny flat that you're renting out, you're getting income from that. So that's an income from an asset. So, I mean, all of us want to buy an asset that makes money, right? So the concept of investing is to buy something that's going to grow in value uh, or at the very least, keep up with inflation, but also provide an income return. So I'm not going to go too much into the technicalities and terminologies of like return and investment and rates of return and all of that. I'm not going to yield. I'm not going to go into any of that. That's that's probably a bit too complex for where I wanted to go today. So I'll get some. So actually, before I start the number, the the five um, fundamentals I spoke about, I'm just going to talk about the different types of assets and the different ways to invest. So whether you realize it or not, even if you don't have any kind of property shares or whatever, if you're, if you know, if you're renting, whatever it is, if you have superannuation, you are an investor. Superannuation was designed to provide support (laughs) and eventually to remove the need for um, us to be on the pension from the government in our old age. So if you're employed and hopefully if you're self-employed and you're a business owner, you're paying yourself superannuation so that in your retirement, when you're no longer actively working to earn money, you've got this nice nest egg sitting there and it pays you income from the money that's been saved. And sometimes the capital will start to, well, in most cases, the capital will start to deplete as well but it should last you out your retirement. So that's what superannuation is, but it is actually an investment. The next sort of main one we've already spoken about is property. And that can be residential property, which is what most of us are sort of familiar with, the house, like a house where an individual lives in a house or a family lives in a house or a home. There's also commercial property. You can either hold that directly where you buy like a a factory or a commercial space and you then rent that out to a, a, a business. You can also own property, be it residential or commercial, in a unit of a sort of a pooled investment style thing. Um, Again, they're they're property trusts, there's units, anyway, there's different ways to do this. So it's not just a matter of going, oh my goodness, you know, commercial property is so much more expensive, I could never get into that. Well, you can, you can just buy a portion of a commercial property. So then there's also shares. So you buy a portion of a company. So you buy a share, um, stocks and shares, same thing. It's just two different names. In Australia, we tend to call it shares. In America, they tend to call it stocks. It is the same thing. Um, And you're buying a portion of a company and the company performs for its shareholders, of which you would be one if if you've bought into them, and they return the profits of the company in the form of a dividend, which is the income component. Um, that's why like really established companies and banks, things like, you know, your Telstra's and your, uh, your mining companies, like your BHP's and your big four banks or five banks, whatever they are, because they're so established, um, they have profit that they can return to shareholders, which is why they call them blue chip. Um, newer companies have a tendency to reinvest their profits back into the company, which means there's less likelihood of the dividends being distributed to shareholders. So that's a different thing in itself. So, but the concept of shares is investing in a company. Then you have what they call like bundled assets, which is where the concept of like managed funds and exchange traded funds come into things. Um, exchange traded funds are essentially managed funds 
cut down instead of into units into individual shares which you can then buy on a a stock exchange Um, so it's cheaper to buy them than a managed fund usually there'll be like a minimum of five thousand dollars to get into the fund where you have to buy a minimum of five thousand dollars worth of units i've seen some that are twenty thousand minimum and some of them are only available to wholesale investors which are usually like super funds and and bigger sort of uh, companies who do investing professionally. So there's different ways to get into them. But ETFs, so your exchange traded funds, they're available to anybody. You can buy them directly on a stock exchange. And I'll get into that a bit later because that was one of my things. I was like, so how do you actually physically buy these? I can't like, there's no shop I can walk into and say, can I have how many of these? <laughs> that's that's where I was. That was where I was at. Um, so I will explain that just in case you are too, because it's totally okay. Otherwise, how do we know unless somebody tells us? Um, so then there's also foreign exchange as an asset. You can invest in foreign currencies and what you're actually investing in is the ups and downs. So this is something that I would I would only recommend for people who really know what they're doing um, because there's a lot of money can, that can be made, but there's also a lot of money that can be lost when you trade Forex or foreign exchange. If you're going to like buy US dollars at this and then sell at that, you have to make sure that depending on the swing between the Australian dollar and whichever foreign currency you're trading in, it is actually going to make a gain for you. So, but that that is considered an asset class. Then come digital assets. Now this one, they're not actually officially recognized as an asset class. So things like cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin, then you've got your non-fungible tokens or NFTs. I'm not even I'm not even going to go there because they're they're a bit of a black hole as well and they're they're very volatile. Um, but they're they're a way to invest. Whether or not you call it an asset, that's that's up for debate. Um, and then finally, what others like the category of other, which have things like gold, um, silver, commodities, things like you know iron ore and nickel and all of that. And then there's art, antiquities, coins, all sorts of other things. So there's there's lots of other things that will fall into that category as well. But they're still considered an investment. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to those five that I spoke about before. So time being the first one. Now, time is extremely important when it comes to investing. I mean, obviously, the earlier you start anything, the more time you have to ride out any swings in the market. Like, for instance, if um, actually I even had like a real example of this back in 2008, when the global financial crisis happened, I had a friend whose father was just about to retire, but his superannuation pretty much halved overnight because of the GFC. So he had to go back into the workforce and had to work for like another five years to get his superannuation back to a point where he could comfortably retire. So he 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 was running out of time. He could then still work, thankfully, and he was still well enough to do that. And so, but it took him another five years. So if you're in your 20s and something like a GFC happens, you've got like your whole working life still to go. So you've got decades to ride it out to sort of try and get back to where you were and, and beyond. So time is, is important. So the decisions that you make in relation to investing change depending on um, how much time you've got. So if you're in your 20s, the decisions you're making to invest are very different to if you're in your 50s or 60s and approaching retirement. So your risk will start to then go down, which is what we'll get to next. So time is time in the market uh, rather than timing the market is another common term that I hear. And there's there's a lot of debate around this one. There's the concept of investing sort of regular amounts, no matter what's happening. So you just like, because it's very difficult to time the market. But then there's other other way, um, schools of thought that have said, oh, if you didn't invest during 
a, you know, an uptick, like a real growth, but you invested in a crash, people have made more money. So that I'm not going to get too much into the debate about that, but time in terms of how much time you have left in your like working, investing life is important when you're considering what I'm about to talk about next, which is the next four steps. So that the second one then is risk. Probably one of the most important things is to understand your own personality when it comes to risk. Like I know myself, I'm I'm relatively risk averse. I'm also not an early adopter. Like when new technology comes out, I usually hang back and I watch it and I'm yeah, I just like cautiously tread watching how it's going before I even like consider diving in. And I know so I know that's me. So I know whatever I do, I have to consider that when I'm making an investment decision. So from your perspective, be aware that I'm giving this from my lens, which is also somewhat risk averse. You might be like, oh, no, 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 no risk, no reward. So, and you like dive, it's, you know, no pay, no gain kind of a thing. But in this case, it's relating to money. So your personality is one of them. Then also your age, like I was saying before, how old you are and how much time. So even if you might be, you know, a lot less risk averse, or you're more, you know, you're more comfortable with risk when you're in your 20s, you'll probably start to notice as you get into your 30s, 40s, and then 50s that your appetite for risk starts to decline. And that's perfectly normal because you know you've got slightly, you've got less time to ride out whatever the swings are. And they reckon the average swing is about seven years. Um, although at the moment, I think, you know, that could be 10 years, it could be five. Who knows? The, the current situation, everything is sort of unpredictable. Um, so one way to test this is imagine your money and you see it just like completely tank in the market and you've like not lost it all, but you've, you know, the value of it has gone down. You still own the units, the underlying investment, but the value of those units has gone down dramatically. And like the heart palpitations you might have for anything that is up and down far too much. Um, and if, if that doesn't, if that doesn't bother you, then you've got more of a tolerance for risk. But if it does bother you, then you should probably consider investing in something a little less volatile. Um, the complexity of investments is another thing that links into your risk profile. Like, are you going to buy into a pooled investment or do you want to do foreign exchange trading or um, how are you investing in shares? Are you actively trading online where in different markets around the world? Um, that sort of thing. And then the other thing to consider is liquidity. So there's some asset classes that are more liquid than others. Um, property, an example, is relatively less liquid. So just as just as an example, say for instance, you need ready cash like immediately or within a week. You if you you can't sell a property and get the cash out within a week, even if you list a property and it sells within a week, there's always a settlement period. So you're looking at a minimum, absolute minimum of a month, more likely three to six months. Uh, and I still remember. So it's so funny when I look at the property market now. I remember growing up and seeing three signs from three different real estate agents on one property. You know, settlement was sixty to ninety days. It would take maybe six to twelve months for a property to sell. Like the 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 liquidity was so much less. It is a lot faster moving now than it was back in my day as a kid, but it's still not as liquid as even a share. You can sell a share. You'll still wait a couple of days. Like the ultimate liquidity is cash in the bank because you can literally go to an ATM or a bank and get the cash out um, or actual cash, you know, under the mattress kind of thing. But, you know, that's it's going to lose value that way. Um, so that's the other thing to think about is how quickly you need cash. And this is where planning your money bucket to money pie, as I, as I talk about, comes in handy. But I'm not going to go there today. So that was number two, risk. The next one is asset allocation. So this really relates to um, – 
what we call like defensive versus growth assets. And again, it impact what's impacted by it is time. So your age and how much time you have to invest, but also your risk profile as well. So it sort of builds on each other. And when I talk about what like defensive assets, they're things like cash, stuff that's um, not going to decline in value necessarily. So um, high interest savings accounts, term deposits, your capital is, you know, within the boundaries of, you know, um, you know, no ca- catastrophes happening is secure and you're, you have a guaranteed return of whatever it is, like the interest rate at the time. Um, so, so that's, they're considered very defensive. You've got other things like bonds, whether it's government bonds or corporate bonds, stuff like that, that's also considered pretty sort of secure. Um, but then you've got like the growth assets, which is pretty much everything else. So your property, shares, managed funds, exchange traded funds, digital assets, even the alternatives like gold, they, they fluctuate quite a lot. And they, you know, there's always that disclaimer, past performance is not an indication of future performance. <laughs> Anything that has a disclaimer like that on it is more of a growth asset. So how you split that up, like just as an example, in my portfolio, I tend to go for about um, 20% defensive and 80% growth. So I have most of my money because I'm still in my 40s. I've still got lots of, you know, working life ahead of me. Um, I I have a lot more in more growth growth assets, but I still have some defensive assets because I want to be able to have some security there. So, you know, emergency funds and, you know, saving for holidays and all of that. I want that to be sort of secure in like a, a more of a cash type asset. But my parents, who are in their 80s, um, they're the other way around. They completely flipped. So they'll have like 80% of their their money in, in defensive, so like cash, term deposits, high interest, like whatever they can get the most for, you know, their cash. Um, but they've still got, they still have some exposure to investments. So it's, it's it, that's where your, you know, your time and your risk profile also come into what you call your asset allocation. And just because I have 80-20 for growth to defensive, doesn't necessarily mean that somebody else might not have like a 50-50 or a 60-40. It really depends what your goals are, what your risk profile is and what you're prepared to do. So um, for some people, they might be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I want growth. You want 90% growth and then maybe 10% or even 95 to 5 or it's it really is very individual, which is why whenever I hear these one size fits all, oh, everybody at this age should do this. I'm like, well, (laughs) not taking into account sort of more personal circumstances there. So that's, that's why the asset allocation concept is important and to understand first the time you've got, your risk, and then to get to the asset allocation. The next thing to then consider as well, which is kind of almost alongside asset allocation, is diversification. So this is where, um, and it's one of my personal bugbears, is that there's such a focus on property in, in Australia that a lot of people are just focused, fixated on saving. Once they save for a home or even their first their first thing is to get an investment property. And while that's fine, it's also important to diversify into other asset classes as well, because if something really bad happens to the property market, you've got other assets that may not be impacted by that that can help support your portfolio so that you don't lose everything so we'll not lose it all but you know it doesn't decline too dramatically so so having it spread like and even within my portfolio I've chosen to hold investment property within you know a share unit trust type of portfolio rather than directly because I'm not prepared to to outlay or have that much debt um, especially now with interest rates going up but that's a personal choice that I've made also because I watched my parents growing up lose quite a lot of money on property but there are ways to do it as long as you know what you're doing and this is where if I ever would go jump back into the property market 
I actually would talk to some experts that I know and go, okay, what's going on right now? So I would, I would hire a property coach basically to, to help or a property consultant. So, um, yeah, so I'm a big believer in going, if I don't know something, I want to go hire somebody who knows it so that I don't have to do all the hard work to try and figure it out, which is what I'm trying to do for you right now is to give you some insights into the things that I've learned that have helped along the way that hopefully help you. I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. So that's diversifying, having, you know, different eggs in the basket to, to kind of balance things out. And then fifth one, the final one is consistency. This is where I said it does not, it's not sexy, it's not exciting. Um, but the concept of just contributing to an investment on a regular basis and achieving the benefits of compounding. So a compounding return, just as an example, I'll throw a couple of numbers your way. So if you started with $100 and then you invested $100 each month on top of that and you received a 5% annual return, which is pretty realistic, and we're talking 20 years here. So this is where the time factor comes in. If you did that for 20 years, you would have just over $41,000. Now, that's pretty good. If you'd done nothing, you wouldn't have that in 20 years. You'd be looking back 20 years later going, oh, my God, I wish I'd done that or started that 20 years ago. Then, So the second scenario then is if you take $100 again and then you invest $100 a month, but you increase this monthly contribution every year, by 5%. So, you know, in the f- first year it's $100 a month and it goes to $105 a month and so forth. Plus you get a 5% investment return on top of that. Over that 20-year period, you've now got nearly 63000 So that's $20,000 more just by increasing your monthly contribution by 5%, which is do- like dollars, not even hundreds, just dollars um, a year difference. So it's, it's really the important part here, which is – part built into this consistency is the action step. It's actually doing it. Now, in terms of how to do it, um, this is there's, uh, there is a number of different ways. So there's investing platforms out there. Um, there's index funds. Um, you can choose to invest in direct shares. Um, I would suggest having a little look in your super fund to have a have a bit of a play in that first if you'd like to, to sort of have a bit of a sand pit environment. It is still real money though. Um, or you can talk to a financial advisor or you can do more research. There's books out there that help with this. I'm happy to, to have a chat as well if you'd like to, to book a clarity chat. Um, and it's it's really um, it's 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 important to do the other the other way you can start doing it is through micro investing. Now I actually have a free micro investing guide on my website, which is um, uh, money-madesimple.com.au. So if you have a look on there, you can download the free micro investing guide, which talks about different providers that you can use. I personally use Raise uh, mainly because I started out. It actually started out as an experiment to do roundups. And within probably about five years, I was up to just over $5,000 just on roundups. That's literally investing cents in a, it's a pooled investment space, which I talk about in the guide. Um, And then I started, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to start adding $10 a week to this. And it has skyrocketed since then. Like it's close to $7,000. And I only upped that about 10 months ago. So that's just the benefit of compounding by adding to something. And it's just that if I'd done nothing, I wouldn't have this money. And it's literally just sitting there. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Um, It's really good for children as well to get them started where they're not investing a huge amount of money and they're just playing around to start with. Um, But yeah, so there's it's the message ultimately I'm trying to get out here is just do it. (laughs) Start. If you don't know what to do, get informed 
please contact me if you want. I can direct you to some really good financial planners if you've got enough to start investing through a financial planner. Otherwise, look at micro-investing and at the very least, just start saving so you can get to the point where you can start investing because it's really necessary to do that alongside whatever else you're doing. Even if you're saving for a house, paying off a house, putting money into super, you need to be investing in parallel to all of this. It's the only way to actually then build wealth so that you can live the lifestyle you want. Sorry. So I know it's, it sounds a bit ranty, but I'm very passionate about this. Um, so I'm just going to recap those five things. So the first one was time, um, how much time you've got to invest, your risk profile, what your assets allocation is between like defensive and growth assets, diversifying your portfolio across a, diff- a number of different asset classes, including those growth and defensive assets. And then the fifth one is consistency, just investing and doing it on a regular basis to take that action and build that portfolio and build your wealth. So I hope you found that helpful. And um, yeah, like I said, let me know if you have any questions at all. Have a lovely day.